welcome to my podcast. So <laughs> I set up to record for my other show, Smack My Pitch Up, uh, but my co-host is indisposed. And because I'm set up and I haven't recorded any episodes of my handle as Jonathan Blade this year, I thought I would bang out a quick impromptu episode about something that I had planned to uh, either actually study and gather materials on, and I never did. But it still make for an interesting quick episode. So what we're talking about today is The Authority. What's The Authority? DC Comics is the current owner of the property, The Authority, which is a comic book brand, a comic book team about aggressively proactive superheroes, a team of aggressively proactive superheroes who are so proactive that eventually they take over the world. And I don't believe that's a permanent state, but that is something that happens early on in their, their existence. They were a Wildstorm property, which I believe Wildstorm was a an imprint that splintered off of Image. And in the, uh, the Wildstorm universe, there was a team called Stormwatch. Stormwatch was a government-sanctioned super team made up of uh, composed of superhumans who were made by the government, kind of like the characters in The Boys are. They were made by a insane genius named Henry Bendix, who ended up being or whatever. But at some point, Stormwatch fell apart. I don't remember the details of that particular storyline, but out of Stormwatch to deal with global crisis, the Authority was born, and the Authority is. It's probably the apotheosis of the 90s philosophy of proactive superheroes. You couldn't go any farther than what the authority actually did, which was to take over the world and just be brassy and sassy. It was supposed to be like kind of like the Justice League, but only with its lead or with two of its characters. The Apollo and Midnighter, the Apollo and Midnighter are basically Superman and Batman as gay lovers. I, I believe they're married. I think they got married in the book as opposed to being married beforehand. But uh, yes, the Apollo and Midnight are married. They took over uh, the parenting responsibilities for the newest member of the Authority after the first story arc. There's a lot. There's a lot there. I should have organized this instead of trying to just record straight out. But basically, Jenny Sparks, who is the spirit of the 20th century, there's a spirit uh, for every hundred years, a spirit of the century. And Jenny Sparks was the spirit of the 20th century. She has electric powers. She is... Uh, diesel punk, uh, steampunk, uh, whatever, like Nikola Tesla birthed the superhero. That was Jenny Sparks. And she had all kinds of awesome adventures throughout her life, uh, in a retconned fashion. And so when Stormwatch fell, she brought together the authority. The authority is uber powerful. So I said, they have a uh, Superman and Batman. The Superman character is about Superman powerful. The Batman character is more than Batman because he's mildly superhuman, like a super soldier. But his capability is that he has a combat nanotech computer in his brain that can calculate the outcome of any any battle. And if there's a possibility that the Midnighter can win that battle, then he will win that battle because of that capability. Uh, Jenny Sparks, Midnighter, Apollo. Jack Hawksmore, he has a bond with populated urban areas where he can communicate with the city. He can control aspects of the city. He is powerful inside the city and less powerful outside of the city. And it's a really nebulous power. The authority in, as, as a whole have very nebulous powers uh, so that they can be 
city level powerful or they can be globally powerful depending on the situation. And then the book that was birthed out of that from other Stormwatch characters called the monarchy even made the monarchy's powers even more nebulous. It was kind of silly. It's escalation, which is something that I hate in comic books. Uh, they think to make it interesting, you have to increasingly keep going with the, uh, the power levels of the characters until they're really hard to write for basically. But there was the engineer who's once again nanotech. Her body is coated with a kind of living nanotech that gives her silvery skin and she can produce any kind of machine that she can imagine from the nanotech that resides in and on her body and control other engineered devices, probably anything electronic. Uh, there is, God, what was the, the Talon lady's name? It might have been Talon. I don't remember now, but there was a lady whose uh, power was that she could fly. She could fly, and she had super incredibly sharp claws on her hands and feet that could cut through almost anything, and she could fly at supersonic speeds. Uh, she was the only member of the Authority who was not insanely powerful, but she was deadly. Like, uh, in the first issue, they fought basically an army of people that were not Kryptonian power, but had the same powers. So they were super powerful with the flying and the invulnerability and the superhuman strength. And she was massacring these soldiers in mass with her, her uber sharp claws and her speed. So she is powerful as well. And the authority come together to save the world uh, from that first story, which is a Fu Manchu story. It's kind of offensive now, probably the last use of a Fu Manchu character style character in the comics. It wasn't Fu Manchu, but it was that style of, um, what was it? Yellow peril that the legacy of that kind of character in the comic books. So they get past that last story. They go into the next story arc. Jenny Sparks dies because it is now the year 2000. She's replaced with the spirit of the 21st century, Jenny Quantum, who's a baby and who ages up. But I never read her stories past the uh, the baby phase. Uh, she has more power than Jenny Sparks, but I don't think she ever got a chance to express that in its fullness. And The Authority was one of the best written books of its time and beautiful art uh, by, I can't remember who, the same person who did The Nail, whose name will probably come to me at some point. Beautiful art, great writing, klaxon, klaxon, stories that start in media res, which is uh, indicative for the time, kind of influenced by movies and other entertainment at the time. Loved it. Eventually, Wildstorm was purchased by DC Comics, and so the authority was folded into DC. But before that happened, DC really liked what the authority was putting down as a counterpoint to its own characters. And so they introduced one of the, the finest Superman stories, one of the finest mainline Superman stories ever written, which is Superman 775, I believe. Uh, what's so bad with, uh, what's, it, what's so wrong with truth, justice in the American way? Something of that nature which was remade by uh, DC Animation in a story called Superman vs. the Elite. And the Elite are basically clones of the Authority. They were given the same purpose, and they even had the... The Authority has a dimensional, uh, dimension-hopping ship called the Carrier that's semi-sentient and can exist in any spot in reality uh, at any given point in time. And the Authority, or sorry, the, the Elite had a ship just like it called Bunny, that could do exactly the same things. So they created the, the elite. None of the elite had staying power. They were around, but Manchester Black, the leader of the elite, did have staying power. And because of that, 
Manchester Black uh, at some point led the authority when the Wildstorm universe was folded into the DC universe. I don't know how they reconciled that with the existence of the elite and the fact that they had expanded the elite story beyond just being authority clones, or maybe they made them more like the authority because at some point Manchester Black's sister, uh, whose powers are very similar to his, took over the uh, the lead role in the authority. I'm sorry, the elite. God dang it. Because they're the same thing. And Manchester Black took over running the authority. Uh, the Manchester Black doesn't run the authority anymore. Now Superman and the last big story arc in which the authority existed, Superman was the lead of the authority trying to convert them to do something more honorable in the name of justice, be heroes more in the fashion that he is, but also still proactive. Yeah. There's a lot of history there that I don't know because I haven't followed the books for 20 years, just read things here and there. I've read some elite stuff, which might as well be the authority, like I said, but it's interesting and it's interesting because one of the properties that James Gunn announced when he was giving his DC lineup was an authority movie. And that will probably elevate into something that is basically Superman versus the elite or Superman 775, except with the elite, it's with the authority. That will be fire. In fact, that's the thing, even more than him relaunching Superman, that's the thing that I'd love to see. I would love to see that movie. I think it's going to be incredible. So I'm very excited for that. Like on the most recent episode of Smack My Pitch Up, I gave a pitch for a Superman movie. And my Superman movie was Superman versus the authority, because I find that incredibly intriguing. And I think that you could do some really interesting things with that beyond what was done in the book itself. So if you get a chance to listen to that episode, it's good stuff. Because I didn't want this to be a short episode, I decided to make it a potpourri episode, basically, and drop in something else, anything else. Uh, in this case, um, one of the earlier episodes I've done uh, is about Steam on Chrome OS. Chrome OS is considered basically a limited desktop operating system because it can't do all the things that your, your full-featured desktop, desktop operating systems can do. But it's bringing in more functionality all the time. One of those things is Steam, uh, for gaming, uh, is now able to be hosted on Chrome OS. So you can install Steam on Chrome OS and download and play games from Steam. And so I've tested a bunch of these because things go on sale on Steam all the time. There are no Chromebooks that have discrete graphics in length. So the only thing that makes this possible is the fact that internal graphics has got, have gotten to the level where they are functional for some gaming. Like, uh, I think when they started doing Iris graphics on Intel, what they said was that these are functional for 1080p gaming, but they didn't say what kind of games. So in testing, I've had to find out what kind of games. Usually older games, things from the uh, seventh generation, which is Xbox 360, PS3, you can play those games at 1080p. And sometimes they'll run well, and sometimes they won't, and sometimes they won't even run at 1080p. But one game that I found recently that not only plays exactly how I want a gaming experience to play, it's almost arcade style, where you drop in, you play a level, and then you get out. Bulletstorm. Bulletstorm, the full clip edition from 2017. This is a PC remake of a game from 2011, I think. Bulletstorm came out. And as I started playing this game, I was like, oh, it's a first-person shooter. It's fine. At least it runs well. No, it runs really well. So it runs somewhere between uh, 45 and 85 frames per second, which all of the Unreal Engine games run better than their counterpart engines. 
uh, on this system anyway. I think it's just a more efficient uh, tool set than the other gaming engines, but it runs extraordinarily well. And it's a really fun game, and it's exactly the style of game that I like to play, that arcade style. It's set piece to set piece, very linear, uh, and the... The engagement is in the play mechanics because it's a score-based game, but the scoring is basically so you can collect points to buy upgrades for your weapons. Very ideal. It's it's a whole lot of fun, and it's not as brilliant as something like Vanquish, which I've also been playing. It's kind of the same kind of game. Vanquish does it better, but Vanquish is, is also more complex control-wise. It's more involved. You have to get into a groove with Vanquish where Bulletstorm is a more familiar kind of game. Bulletstorm also runs better. Uh, Vanquish has better frame pacing, so that even when the frame rate's not as good as it should be, it just, I don't even know how to describe frame pacing, but it just feels and responds well through all the levels of frame rates, where other games don't quite do that. But yeah, Bulletstorm keeps a high frame rate. It looks good for what it is. It looks like an Unreal Engine 3 game. I think it's like 3.2, actually. It incorporated some things like uh, fake global illumination uh, and things like that. that They were testing for, I believe it was Gears of War 3, that they were testing these new tools for. And the first game to come out that had those tools built in was Bulletstorm, or maybe it was gifted with the use of the tools that they developed for Gears of War 3, something like that. I used to read a lot of gaming press back in the day, but I don't exactly remember everything, but it's something like that. So graphically, it looks good, especially when you get out into the world. The world's very lush, and it still runs very well out in the open world. It's not an open world, it's... it's but in the bigger areas that are outside versus inside areas. It still runs well outside and it's a lot of fun. Story stupid. Don't care. Most game stories are everything can't be the last of us, but I'm having a really good time with that. And so I'd like, just like to share that steam for Chrome OS is a valid thing. And if you are a single player campaign gamer, like I am, I've always been a campaign gamer. I'm not super social online in that fashion. So yeah, I'm really enjoying my experience still. To extend the episode just a little bit more beyond that, I've seen a couple movies in the past couple weeks, big ones. Saw John Wick 4. John Wick 4 is tremendous. Like a real accomplishment in the uh, the realm of, of lush, brutal action movie making. And it's beautiful, like the cinematographer really earned his bones. I I had gotten his name somewhere earlier. I'd never seen his work before, except in John Wick, I guess. But dude killed it. Killed it. It's it's a beautiful movie, and it's brutal. And even though the John Wick fighting style is kind of repetitive, and the scenes are super long, like set-piece scenes are super long, it still manages to keep a level of creativity going, a freshness going throughout most of the movie. Like even when you think, oh, this, this thing has run its course and there's still like uh, 40 minutes left, it does something new to pull you back in. It's really well done. Primo uh, saw The Furies recently, which is a sequel to a Vietnam movie called Fury. I guess the movie's called Furies, not The Furies, but basically it's Lady John Wick. And this one is a sequel so it's many ladies, John Wick, and it's awesome. And if I had seen Furies before seeing, seeing John Wick, then I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more because it's good and it's creative and it's solid. and It tells a really uh, interesting, hard-boiled story, the kind of story you don't see in uh, domestic movies because, you know, these ladies have had hardship, but basically they've banded together over the fact that uh, there's a tremendous rape culture in the city in Vietnam 
So they've all been raped and a mentor woman has brought them together to teach them how to fight with the goal that they think is the goal of going out to the world and defending women and taking down the criminals that, that rape and pillage and kidnap women with their insane, violent martial arts abilities. And it's, it's an interesting movie. I had a good time with it. It's, it's also, I don't know, I don't want to call it fun with that setup, but it's, it's nice, hard boiled action. Good time. Without John Wick, I would have been ecstatic. With John Wick, I still had a good time. Also, I saw Creed 3 a couple weeks ago, and it is probably, it's the second best Creed movie. Creed 1 is extraordinary. It is far and away the best Rocky movie. Creed 2, is a Rocky movie. It moves like a Rocky movie. It feels like a Rocky movie. It's kind of goofy like a Rocky movie. Creed 3 is Michael Jordan putting his, uh, Michael B. Jordan putting his own imprint on the franchise, like directly as the director. So he's got some anime influences in there. And he and his co-star, Jonathan Majors, are incredible together. They have a relationship on screen that is driven by tension all the way through. You feel uncomfortable even though they're boys from childhood, you feel uncomfortable the entire time they're on the screen together. It's really well done. It has some crazy anime influence things in there where some of it works. Like I thought that the almost Sherlock Holmes mind palace thing that happened in the first fight in the movie was interesting. And I thought that would carry through. It didn't. And then the final fight does some very anime stuff that's creative. I don't know. Some people didn't think it worked. I thought it worked fine, but it is kind of uh, dissonant from the rest of the movie. But I enjoyed Creed 3 overall. I thought some of the characters got short shrift, like they weren't given enough time to do their thing because it was the story about these two men. I think that Tessa Thompson should have gotten more time in the movie to do her thing. Not having Rocky in the movie felt, it didn't, it felt wrong. Like they might have mentioned him once, but he was so in, integral to the process of Creed rising in the first two movies that not to have him do anything in the third. And I know that there are business reasons why he was like Stallone wasn't in the third, but still it, it felt uh, off, but yeah, enjoyed Creed three tremendously. As I said online, it's a, it's a good three star movie, which we are having a lot of here at the beginning of the year, really good three star movies. And I give it my full recommendation, not my highest recommendation, just my full recommendation for Creed 3. John Wick 4 also gets my full recommendation, closer to my highest recommendation, but that kind of movie's not for everyone, so I wouldn't probably give it my highest recommendation. But if you are a fan of action cinema, like brutal action cinema, then you almost can't do better. Like, it's up there with the Raid movies, something like that. Uh, not quite as brutal, but in some places as brutal. Some of the, the trappings of the John Wick world <laughs> kind of become ridiculous by the time John Wick 4 rolls around. Uh, in some places, in a lot of places, it's a cartoon. Like, John gets hurt in ways throughout the movie where you're like, you're dead. You're just, you're just dead. There's no bouncing up and killing people after this thing that just happened. But it is fully in keeping with the spirit of the movie. Loved it. Boom. All right. So I think that extended the episode enough to be considered a full episode. And with that said, you can, of course, find me on Twitter at JankyOldBrokeHoboSpiderMan at JonathanBlade or the other way around. I forget. It's all gravy. Hopefully we'll catch you soon in another episode that I've actually planned out. And that one's going to be awesome, just like this one was. So uh, as always, thanks for listening.